in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Um, that word betrothed uh, is a difficult word for us. In English, we don't really have something that corresponds directly to the situation that took place in that culture. Uh, we think of an engagement, but for us, an engagement can be broken. Uh, there's no le legal ramifications to people being engaged. But in the culture uh, of which we are looking, there was a period of time in which people were considered to be legally married, but yet that marriage was not yet consummated. Uh, that, that marriage had not come to its, its final uh, conclusion, if you will. But still there was a legality that bound the uh, betrothed to each other. It's in that period of time that Mary is discovered to be pregnant, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. It is now obvious to everyone that sees her that Mary is pregnant. She is showing, as it were. And Joseph knows that the baby that Mary is carrying is not his. For notice in verse 18, it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child. That term to be, before they were come together is referring to a sexual relationship. This speaks of a fidelity, that there had been no uh, sexual relationship between Mary and Joseph at this time, which speaks to the fact, again, that he is a righteous individual. Therefore, since Mary is pregnant and the child is not his, Joseph is going to seek a divorce due to her unfaithfulness. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So the point is he did not want to embarrass her. That was not his intention. He didn't want to harm her in any way, but found it necessary to divorce her knowing that this baby that she was carrying was not his. Um, presumably, Mary had been unfaithful to him. Now, I, I want you to think for a moment of what a blow that would have been to Mary. To realize that he wants to divorce her and to realize that he obviously didn't believe her when she told him that this child that she was carrying was uh, the result of the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon her, that she had not had any sexual relationship with any human being. It's easy to see how Joseph would have had a hard time accepting that explanation. It's not hard to imagine that Joseph, when he heard that, thought, that's pretty far-fetched. Uh, but nonetheless, it was the truth. And so this relationship with Mary and Joseph must have been strained. It must have caused her a great deal of hurt, of painfulness, and also questioning in her own heart and mind as to what is going to happen next. However, 
in the grace of God, it's revealed to Joseph that the child that is conceived is by the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So here is confirmation of what Mary had been saying all along, that this child is indeed a result of the Holy Spirit. And then it's revealed what the child will do. He will save his people from their sins, in verse 21. But then it's revealed that the child is a fulfillment of prophecy, Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, or which is interpreted, God with us. This is a quotation of Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The fact that Mary is a virgin is foretold in the book of Isaiah and is brought to Joseph's attention to bring assurance to the truthfulness of the angel's message and of the role that he's going to play as savior. So here we are reminded of the importance of scripture and how the scriptures are significant for us even in attesting to the reality of the Christmas story as there are so many portions of God's word that are fulfilled in the events that take place at Jesus' birth. Lastly, we are reminded of the wisdom and power and sovereignty of God that this message came at the right time. You know, one might wonder why God put Mary and Joseph through the ordeal that he did. Why didn't God let Joseph know earlier <laughs> that this baby was from God? Why put him through the anguish? Why put him through the heartache? Why put him through the misery of wrestling with what he was going to do with an unfaithful uh, spouse? Well, I believe that God did reveal that earlier to Joseph. I believe that Mary told him of all of the events that had happened. But it was too difficult for Joseph to accept and to believe. It wasn't that he didn't hear, it's that he didn't believe. And there's a great lesson for us all in that truth, for there are many who have heard but do not believe. There are many who know the account, but yet simply uh, say that that's too hard to accept, that this child would be from God. So God in his grace and his mercy meets Joseph in his unbelief and brings him to faith, even as God has met us in our unbelief and has brought us to faith as well. But secondly, we learn that the child that is born is God in the flesh. Notice Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God's presence is manifested in a way that was never manifested before. In the Old Testament, God manifested his presence in the cloudy pillar by day and the fiery pillar by night. He manifested his presence in the Shekinah glory of the tabernacle and later the temple. But here we find that God manifests his presence bodily. God dwelling in human flesh is emphasized in many portions of the word of God. John 1.1 and 1.14 that that, uh, Pastor Cruz alluded to this morning. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word that was with God, the word that was God, became flesh. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one deceives you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, not according to Christ. For in him, that's in Christ, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That truth that Christ is the embodiment of God is foundational to our Christian faith. 1 Timothy 3.16 states, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. Great is the, is the mystery without controversy, meaning that it's without debate. It is certain. God was manifest in the, fl- in the flesh. I want us to think about the incredible condescension of the second person of the Trinity. How remarkable that God's presence would be with us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I'd like to unpack that verse for you and just remind us of how Incredible it is that God would become flesh and live among us. In the Old Testament, one was not able to look upon God. Moses, when he is on top of the mount, receiving the Ten Commandments, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. In the Old Testament, the furnishings of the tabernacle could not be touched. 
The uh, sons of Korah were the individuals that uh, moved the furnishings of the tabernacle, but they didn't touch them with their hands. There were rings on each of the uh, elements of the, the furniture, and long poles would be put through those uh, rings, and then they would lift uh, those uh, poles upon their shoulder and would carry the, the various furnishings of the tabernacle. And uh, trust you remember the story in the Old Testament. In Second Samuel, uh, they are moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. But they're not moving it in the way in which God directed it to be moved. That is, they did not put the rings in the staves and carry it upon their shoulders. But instead, they put it on the back of a cart. And as the cart was traveling, it uh, hit a pothole and it jarred the Ark of the Covenant and it was about to tip off of the back of the cart. And Uzzah reached forth to steady the ark so it would not fall on the ground. And as soon as he touched it, he was struck dead. Second Samuel 6, 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. For touching the ark of the covenant, he died. The word of God says, that that which was from the beginning we have seen and we have touched. You couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to think about the dishonoring ways in which Jesus was touched. Judas Iscariot kissed him on the cheek. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, sees him, and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus allowed himself to be betrayed with a kiss on his cheek, of which there is this feigned allegiance, a feigned love on the part of Jesus for Jesus, when it, really he was just pointing out the one that was to be arrested. The soldiers slapped him in the face. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? He was struck in the face. He was beaten with rods. He was manhandled, if you will. And he is the son of God. In contrast... I want you to think of God's grace and mercy in the way in which people handled him with love. One of the signs of the birth is that you will find Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Mary, who had the privilege of nursing him, of holding her in his her arms and wrapping him and caring for his physical needs. John, the disciple that the scripture says is the one that Jesus loved. John 13, 23, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And so here they are, the night of the Passover. And as they are 
reclining around the table, John, the apostle, is laying his hand, excuse me, his head on the chest of his Savior. That which we have handled. Jesus invites Thomas to touch the nail prints in his hands and his side. John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So here is this condescending Jesus who comes in this world to be among us, to be a part of us in order to save us. Taking on flesh has the significance of entering into our world to participate in all the human experiences. I want you to, to think about what it means for, for God to take upon flesh. God in flesh experienced poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. God in his flesh experienced homelessness. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless for those three years of earthly ministry. God in the flesh experienced rejection. The governor said to them, this is at Jesus' trial, which of the two do you want to release? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. God in the flesh experienced all kinds of sorrows. Isaiah 53 that he is a man of sorrows and equated with grief. God in the flesh is helping us. God in the flesh is helping us. He left his glorious home to enter into our humble circumstance. Third, we learned that the child being born is God acting on our behalf. God is helping us. Notice Matthew one twenty three: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then this, which doesn't appear in Isaiah 7.14, which means God with us. The context of Isaiah chapter 7 is God's helping the nation of Israel. But this is quoted in the book of Matthew, and it has much more significance than just for the nation of Israel. And one of the ways that we know that is the fact that the word Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word, is translated for all those that don't know Hebrew. It's translated in the text, which means God 
with us. It's taking into account the Gentiles who don't know what the word Emmanuel means. For God with us is more than just a message for the Jews, but it's a message for the Gentiles. And it's more than just a message for the Gentiles, it's a message for the whole world. For Jesus, excuse me, for the angels said to the shepherds, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God is with us. Not just the Israelites, not just Mary and Joseph, but all who place their faith and trust in Jesus. That God is with us in his presence is God's will for us. In the Old Testament, Moses is leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and once led out of the land of Egypt there to go to the promised land. And they're going to have to do battle in the land of Canaan in order for uh, all the promises that God had made to his people to come to pass. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, Moses says this. He said to him, that is, Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. If your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. If your presence doesn't go with me, I can't win. We can't do what you have commanded us to do. It's only if your presence is with us. It's only if you come to our aid. That's the only way. So God being with us is God helping us. And he helps us in verse 21 by saving us from our sins. The penalty of sin and our sinful condition. And it's the second that I really want to focus on this morning. Because I think we often focus upon uh, the penalty of sin, meaning that now we uh, are free from judgment. Now it means that we do not have to go to an eternal punishment, but we're ushered into the very presence of God in the time of our death. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. But it's also the condition of sin. God is with us. God is with us in our needs. Mary gave us the Magnificat in the book of Luke, where she says, you have looked upon the low estate of your handmaiden, and you have done for me great things. Mary knew the fact that God was with her. God is with us in our marriages. Joseph is about ready to divorce Mary. But an angel is sent to bring restoration and healing to that marriage and to provide both a father and a earth, earthly father and mother for Jesus. God is with Elizabeth, who is a support to Mary and a help to John the Baptist. In all the ways that Jesus ministered to the multitudes, God is with us. 
God is with us and saving us in the fullest sense of that word. In the book of Matthew, it concludes with these words. Go ye therefore in all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the concluding thought. Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him. Jesus entered our world so that we could enter his. John chapter 14, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, he says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We will be with him forever. He came into this world to be with us so that we could be with him. I pray that you place your faith and trust in Jesus, this Jesus who is fully God, fully man, the one in whom God dwells bodily, born of a virgin to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to have an ever-increasing faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to exalt him. Help us to glorify him. Help us to praise him as he so richly deserves. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.